Hello and welcome to Bend the Knee, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast. I am Sir Matt, the Bud Knight. And I am Sir Jimmy of House Nuts. Welcome to our Song of Ice and Fire book club. Today we are into Storm of Swords Davos Chapter 1. Yeah, and we are still uh, the broken. Yes. How, you know, the 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 broken. Yeah, so interesting uh, times, to say the least. I probably, for those who will be watching the video, I don't know that I'm going to do video again. I'm probably not doing video. I mean, there will be like a video podcast uploaded to YouTube, but I have like this crazy <laughs> setup right now because uh, my, much like Mike Tyson, my back is broken. It's spinal spinal <laughs> spinal okay? like, it is it is uh it is broken so uh yeah i guess i have a slip disc it's pinching my nerve i don't know man all i know is i literally cannot sit down so i've been standing and lying down for the past like two weeks crazy yeah, I, I i can't imagine and uh, you're getting a new car i mean this yeah is... <laughs> tried to drive tried to drive uh may have totaled my car uh it's b- bad so uh on the least jimmy and then you you i think you just said you just tore your knee out yeah i have a partial tear in my patellar for formal ligament uh i think that's how you say that uh and it is in my right knee which is unfortunate because my left knee is already trashed so i'm dealing with the partial tear there but i'm gonna have a scar on my face like this the only thing that has ever got me through life folks is the fact that i'm like okay looking and now I'm going to have to wade my way through Westeros as a hedge knight with a big old scar on my face. Is it interesting that you found that news out as we did the Tyrion chapter in which he realized he no longer had a nose and now he also has an enormous scar oh on his God. face? You're right. Oh my is God. that is that just is that just what this next wave of the podcast is going to be is we're going to be mirroring because <laughs> if we're going to mirror any book, A Storm of Swords is not the one I want to mirror. Okay, like, you know, can we go back to Game of Thrones? Like, can we go back to Clash of King where things are good? Like, Storm of Swords is bad all around. Yeah, can we just go back to, I don't know, maybe uh, Jaehaerys <laughs> building the king? Right. Thing? Like, that yeah. Be right. Because right now, hey, I'm much like Davos. Now I got to go get a new car because my I, you know, accidentally did some damage to it trying to drive with my herniated disc and sciatic nerve. Uh, and, um, it was bad, but Davos is stranded out there too. So I guess it's just the way it's going. But you know what? We did get some ravens. So people said, so shout out to Jack. He sent us one saying, guys, he said, Sir Matt, Sir Jamie, I hope you guys heal up soon. Some milk of the poppy might help with the recovery. I definitely need some milk of the poppy. If anything, to numb um, my vanity from being, you know, destroyed. Um, right. I don't know when I'm going to get this thing cut on my face, though, because like, I don't, I, I don't know. Like, when do you decide to have your face opened up and then, like, heal for two weeks? Like, you can't do PT for, for this. But basically, what happened, folks, is I have this big cyst in my cheek that is starting to grow. And I'm like, what in the world's going on? It's not cancerous or anything, but uh, it came from a clogged pore. Wow. So apparently, I should have been using, like, some sort of face cleaner or something my whole life. But, yeah, I guess a clogged well, pore. Well, that's, ha- that's what happens when you wrestle. You know? You're right. You know, it's that, it's dirty. You're right. You're right. You know, it's a damn shame, but we'll make it through. We'll persevere. You know, uh, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll find a way through this. Right. I mean, what's what's next week? Maybe things will open up. You know, this week's going to be about Davos getting, um, <laughs> you know, this week is about Davos and he's getting stranded. So next time uh, on Ben the Knee, we'll see if our fortunes change here. Oh, we're into Sansa's arc where she gets forced into marriage with Tyrion. So maybe not uh <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm, i don't i don't think i want to go down sansa's arc at all at all so, especially if it's the show that would be no good oof. no ramsey for me thanks yeah all right well um here we go let's dive into davos and by the way there really hasn't been any news uh just in terms of other things as well like house of the dragon just sort of they're saying 2024. There was like a tiny little like Warner Brother insider thing saying, okay, looking like 2024. George hasn't really posted anything. So kind of in a dry spell, at least for sort of Game of Thrones news. Yeah. Um, as a Warner Brothers insider, I like to call myself. The only thing I can say that I see happening, I've been talking to you in the in our group chat, Jimmy, uh, you know, and Sir Matthew and Sir Ryan as well, is um 
you know, Hogwarts Legacy is doing really well, selling a lot of games. It's blowing up. You know, the DC brand does really well with video games. It's got another game coming out. So maybe if you're there at Warner Brothers, you're thinking, you know, Harry Potter's making a lot of money with video games. DC's making a lot of money with video games. We've got multiverses, which is doing pretty well. And that's kind of like got some stuff. Wow. Feels like, you know, what other big franchise do we have that could use a video game? Yes. I mean, I can think of at least one. <laughs> yeah. DuckTales. Give us. Yeah, that too. <laughs> but give us a Game of Thrones video game. Come on. Because the, one, the ones we've had haven't been particularly great. And and as Matt knows, but if you are listening and you don't know, Skyrim was originally supposed to be in a Song of Ice and Fire video game. Yeah. So maybe, maybe someday we'll get one. But I'm just saying, hey, if you're sitting there and you're like, hey, we're making money here, making money here. You know, not, not to whatever. mention that George's name was attached to the game of the year last year. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, let from software. Jimmy and I were just talking about them beforehand. Let's go. That might be too dark for Westeros. I'm in. I don't know. Can they, can they, can they like dial it back to be like to fit into Westeros? Wow. But if just you, have, have George Martin and the creators of, you know, Elden Ring and Dark Souls and all that stuff and make a Game of Thrones video so game. In. I'm so in. How much money would it make? <laughs> Uh, 50 mil. I think Elden Ring has sold 20 million. <laughs> I would say 50 million. I think people yeah. would be really into it. I, uh, you would never see me again that you would have to find another co-host <laughs> because I would never do anything else again in my life. I should look up and see who, who created the, um, well, there was the telltale game whereas, which is kind of cool where you, you played yeah. as like house forester. It, it only okay. ended up being one season, but, um, there was that other game of Thrones RPG. Oh, yeah, it was back in like 2012, I think, and it had the worst combat, but it had a really interesting storyline. It was like this person that came back over and they were a red pre uh, priest from a shy and mm -hmm. they had like landed right, I think, right around the Civil War was happening. And then you had a couple different uh, chapters at the wall. So the story of the actual RPG was fantastic, but the combat was terrible. I mean, miserable to play. Um. But it, it had voice acting too, right? It didn't have oh, voice yeah. acting from yeah, the, Jor Mormont yeah. was in it, everybody was in it. Yeah, now I want to see who man, I wonder who made that who made that video game. Game of Thrones 2012 video game. Developer Cyanide. Atlas was the one who published it, which is interesting because Atlas is known for making very good RPGs because they would make the, the Persona yeah. series and stuff like that. But that was before they sort of got absorbed by Sega, which now they are owned there. And we'll get to the chapter here. Um, so Cyanide, yeah, the developers, they haven't really made a lot of good games, to be honest. <laughs> so uh, they do like the Blood Bowl games. That's kind of their biggest thing. Yeah, I'm good. Thing, we, we don't need which, that. Let's hand know. it over to somebody else. That's all, that's all we're saying. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, George has already got a relationship with From Software. <sighs> don't tempt me, man. Don't tempt me. If you're telling me I could be a hedge knight and just go build my valor <laughs> and, and some and one day become a Kingsguard. I mean, dunk the lunk thick mm -hmm. as a castle wall. I mean, come on, dude. That's it. I mean, I mean, is it I mean, do, is it interesting that they haven't made more? I wonder why they haven't made more video games in this universe. It seems like an incredibly missed opportunity well i think part of it is that and and i've heard this before is that originally one of the game of thrones games were going to be like a battle strategy kind of like total war right and and while i understand that i don't think that that is what people love westeros for you know what i'm saying like i i feel like it's more people are invested in the story of the characters and like going and seeing the world so i think especially around that time you know now we live in a time where open world rpgs are everything Mm -hmm. But back then, I think people were a little bit more obsessed with like the Starcraft, uh, you know, genre. Right. Yes. And I think that they were trying to go into something more like that or even like a civilization type game or something. But I think to do Westeros, right, you have to do an open world. I think that's the only way to do it. Yeah, because, you know, I think when you look at like, say, Hogwarts Legacy, which I think is just yeah, that's the game that's out right now. That's huge and everything. Mm -hmm. 
one, it's easy to pick a time because you're like, okay, we're going to set this like way before all that other stuff takes place. And then you also just sort of had a central location that everyone knows, whereas Westeros is like huge. So I guess where would you set it? Like if you only set it in like King's Landing, which by the way, a King's a game that you could make in like, like an Assassin's Creed type game that takes place in King's Landing. Like you're there on missions and you just got to run around King's Landing. I mean, like it could assa- flee Assassin's Creed. But yeah, that'd be sick. Yeah, it'd be dope. But I want all of Westeros. I want the whole right. thing. <laughs> you I want, want the whole thing. You want an Elder Scrolls like yes. That's the it's the only way you can do it justice. Like you got you got to do it all. Maybe leave out Essos. Maybe that's the DLC after like a year or something. But but I need the whole shebang. If they could do Fallout seventy six and have the whole state of West Virginia, they got to be able to do Westeros. Come on, yeah. Yeah, right now I do believe they just added in the multiverses, which is sort of D, uh, Warner Brothers version of like Smash Brothers, but mm-hmm. it features like you know DC characters, and they haven't included Harry Potter yet, but I and or Lord of the Rings, but I think those are coming. But they've got like Scooby Doo and some of these other things. But they do have Arya Stark, and they did just add, I believe, uh, the like the throne room. So they are sort of adding some Game of Thrones type stuff to their thing i guess i just wonder i wonder if there's pushback from george doubt it he's like cash the checks get him yeah it just seems weird it just seems weird that there's not like you know they made those shadow of mordor games yeah for lord of the rings so those were pretty sweet i mean again that's in that sort of assassin's creed style like gameplay style Mm -hmm. you could totally do that in uh game of thrones just seems like a just seems like it's millions of dollars just waiting for you guys to go to go do it yeah and plenty of us would play it for sure oh god man yeah i go absolutely nuts so all right well with that let's move over to the davos chapter uh so the last time we were with davos was the battle of blackwater frightening much kind of like we were with Tyrion, and you know uh very similar to Tyrion he sort of gets knocked out and we have to wait and see what happens until the next book, which is where we're at now. So Davos has washed up on the shore of a small Island in Blackwater Bay. He remembers swimming beneath the chain boom and then getting caught by the current and gulping seawater. But somehow he is alive and he believes the seven have still, still have some use for him. Despairing over the loss of the four of four of his sons in the sea battle, he contemplates dying on the island, but decides instead to live. A Lysini ship rescues him of Salador Sands fleet. So um, this chapter is incredibly short, so um, we'll dive into it as, as much as we can. But I would say sort of the first big takeaway from this is that this is honestly one of the only chapters that i could find and i've been looking on like forums and stuff like that to see what other people say about it and i found this one this is from this the song of ice and fire reread subreddit and uh this comment was was left and i honestly kind of thought this myself too it says this chapter is interesting is it's the only time we actually see the seven actually do something Compared to R'hllor, for example, it's nice that the seven get some validity points here for once. You know, mother, have mercy. Davos prayed. Save me, gentle mother. Save us all. My luck is gone. And my sons. You know, he was weeping freely now. Salt tears streaming down his cheeks. The fire took it all. The fire, which is really interesting. And I think that's a big parallel because this is where you also start to get like a huge split between Mm -hmm. Davos and Stannis and Davos is going to kind of start to go in his direction. Right. And here Davos is cursing the fire, which Stannis is going more towards. And we, you know, we still don't know the way it's going to play out in winds of winter. Assume it's probably going to be somewhat similar to the way it plays out in the show. Yeah. Where, you know, Stannis actually gets too close to the fire and, you know, kills his daughter and then ends up losing anyway. So it is kind of interesting here that Davos is turning to the seven and cursing the fire. Yeah, he's so there's a lot going on in this chapter. It is a short chapter. It's very much like, where's Davos now? Where are we going to propel him? What's his new motivation, which we know is to kill yeah. Melisandre. But there's a lot to go on in this chapter. And the first thing is the survivor's guilt that he feels. He feels like, uh, what is a father who outlives their sons? Like, why wouldn't he be able to protect them now they're dead? And he has a really tough time with that by by also being stuck on an island, being dehydrated, fighting, getting crabs, trying to kill like, 
you know, uh, birds and, and eat it's, them. It's, I mean, yeah, if you've ever seen the movie uh, Castaway, I would say it's Castaway. <laughs> it's totally Castaway. Yeah, <laughs> Castaway, hundred percent. And which is, I'm wondering if I have to, you know, George wrote this. Uh, you know, sort of. I mean, Castaway was like what, like mid '90s, late '90s, or early 2000s, one of yes. those things. So certainly in that time, Definitely in that time is. frame, yeah. And, and George loves film and TV, and and has written for it. I'm sure that he took a little bit of inspiration from Castaway for this chapter, and. And it, it is, it's, it's, it's a sad chapter because Davos did outlive his sons and he's trying to deal with the survivor's goat of this and thinking back on the battle and exactly how everything went down. And the one thing that he immediately notes is and he curses is wildfire and pyromancer's piss, as he calls it, which is my new favorite term for wildfire. I will only be referring to it as pyromancer's piss from now on. Um, so thank you Davos for that. But yeah, there, there, there's, there's a religious experience on this island and it's kind of up to our re uh, to the reader to decide what of that is perspective and what of that is reality. And it, it, it's a good question. And also the fact that the seven were toppled down. So like, would they answer from Davos? And is it only, is he only feeling like the seven helped him out because he does feel like he is going to be standing up against this priestess of her Lord and of the fire. So there, there, there's a lot to go on here. Did you notice that he never once blames Stannis? Yeah. He, he mentions what Stannis yeah. has done, but it's always Melisandre. And it is clear as day for me. This is my, this is my opinion that Davos's arc has to result in him having to face the fact that Stannis has been able, like he's the one making these terrible decisions the whole time. I'm not saying Melisandre is innocent, but I'm saying that he will eventually see Stannis burn Shireen, you know, and then that will be where he finally has to put the blame solely on Stannis. He is doing everything other than blaming Stannis. And now he is setting off to kill Melisandre. Yeah, I mean, this line right here, he's like, you called the fire, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you burned us, burned us, burned us, you yeah. know, right? And he, yeah, he's, he is, he is blaming her. It is, yeah, interesting to think about because, you know, if you go to the show, like, obviously, he does have the run in with Melisandre where he comes, when he comes back and sort of, but when he realizes, he sort of realizes what happens. Yeah. It's sort of explained to him. He's not there for it. He could be there for it for Stannis burning Shireen. Yeah, it's all going to depend on when he comes back with Rickon, right? Right. But do, do you feel like it, it's trending that way to where Davos is, keeps blinding himself to Stannis's poor, poor, poor decisions and eventually has to face it? Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's it's got to it's it's going to have to come a little more to the forefront. Yeah, uh, of, of it and to and to and to see. And to see that it's really um stannis's problem more so than melisandre's yeah because the other thing that's kind of weird about the timing is you know like if melisandre is the one to resurrect Jon snow mm -hmm. is that how does that davos melisandre conflict resolve itself yeah i don't see davos actually killing melisandre in the books i i don't think it will happen i think like most of our characters who set out on a quest or a mission it's going to get messed up um almost no one <laughs> is is going to end up doing what they've set out to do and he's clearly setting out to kill melisandre i think also there's some really good symbolism in him losing his fingers mm -hmm. so i lost my sons and i lost my luck and uh in a way i think him losing his fingers is the beginning of him maybe losing his allegiance to the man who gave him his fingers, which is yeah. Stannis. So, yeah, I will say this chapter is one, this in combination with the last chapter that Davos is in, which is his, I think it's probably like Davos four. Cause he doesn't have that many chapters in mm -hmm. a clash of Kings. I think it is Davos four, um, but I could be wrong. Maybe it's like seven or something. Um, regardless though, you know, the idea that Azor high may not end up being like, you know, like maybe it is like something like it is in the show where in theory it's John that's Azora <laughs> high. Right. Yeah. And it's like more like he's the one who brings people together to take on the night King white walkers, whatever, as opposed to actually like John's got like a flaming sword going one-on-one, -on -one. but one of the whole, you know, some of the, the language around it is a lot of people look to this chapter for the possibility of Davos. Uh, you know, if you sort of start to look at it um, because oh. there's a lot of salt water mentioned in this chapter okay. over and over again and he's sort of reborn 
right? Like on this island, uh, now in the faith of the seven, if you want, or whatever, you know. But you know, you look at it when the red star bleeds and the darkness gathers, Azor High shall become bo- shall be born again amidst salt, smoke, and salt. You know, when, when he opens his mouth to scream, the water came rushing in, tasting of salt, and Davos knew that he was drowning. Okay, so, but I mean, listen, we're talking about Relore, we're talking about the seven. Let's so sh- show some piety and some respect for the drowned god. Like, are we considering that maybe the drowned god is the one that burped Davos up? Could be. Depends on if you believe in divine intervention, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's definitely, yeah, it's interesting that this is one you know that you that does um like we said this chapter's kind of kind of short mm-hmm. i think in, uh one you know one other thing i want to pull out from from out here there's, there's actually a, a few points i want to pull out here but i think sort of just a bigger takeaway and then i can pull up some specifics is davos loses sons yeah here yeah that's like the Tough. the show does hint the show i think he does have a son yeah in, he, i think he has at least in, one in, I think I think he does have one son who does die in the Battle of the Blackwater, but it's never really brought up again or anything. But here he loses almost everything. Yeah, he has, he has a few sons left. He obviously has his wife. Um, but yeah, he loses, I believe, four sons here in this chapter. And, and it, it obviously is affecting him greatly. I like that George also takes time to kind of go over that. You know, he didn't glance over at Davos. It's, uh, this chapter almost feels like a fever dream at some points. And I think mm-hmm. he's trying to process that while also trying to stay alive. And he's asking himself constantly, why should he live when Allard, Merrick, Mathos, and perhaps Devin as well, and Dale, good old Dale. Uh, <laughs> Dale does not seem like a Westeros name, by the I way. Know. George, come on. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, they all passed away. And uh, he, he's trying to... Uh, deal with all of this survivor's guild loss of his children i mean this is rough rough stuff for our boy davos uh and i guess the only thing that could get him off that island was the fact that one he remained loyal to stannis by the way he said i serve king stannis which i think is telltale of his stubbornness um which may be a good or bad thing but also the fact that uh he wants to kill melisandre vengeance it is for our man yeah there is a there's a so there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff in here also about um there's a lot of stuff in here about gods like not just yes but just a lot of a lot of lines and some other sort of lines that i think are kind of cool to pull to pull up right so it's talking about the little cave he's in saying you know his cave was all the shelter he had and that was a little enough driftwood and bits of charred debris would wash up and on the strand uh, strand during low tide, but he had no way to strike or a spark or start a fire. Once in desperation, he had tried rubbing two pieces, two pieces of driftwood against each other, but the wood was rotted and his efforts earned him only blisters. His clothes were sodden as well as he had lost one of his boots somewhere in the bay before he washed up here. Thirst, hunger, exposure. They were his companions, which I think is, you know, sort of like describes the entire uh, chapter. Uh, which again is re- is really small, small. But so then you know he's talking about it's too far to swim. He's weak, but it didn't matter. Davos had always been a sailor. He was meant to die at sea. The gods beneath the waters have been waiting for me. He told himself, "It's past time I went to them." Um, and then ends up, you know, uh, seeing some other things. You know, they call they, he talks of a Merlin king, right? You know, yeah. that could be down there. So he does kind of talk about some of these sea gods, which is certainly interesting. And then also, it's kind of, I, I kind of just, it's not like something that I think is like, maybe George was hinting at just the way he wrote this chapter, but it's like, oh, that is kind of a cool parallel is just if you go back, it's like he's trying to strike a fire, but he can't do it. And you sort of think of like Stannis and fire, mm-hmm. And now he's looking towards the seven and it's like the seven that ultimately he's, he prays to the mother. If you look at it that way, or perhaps like the sea gods, right? It's something, I guess, obviously uh, almost anything other than fire. Yeah. Fire is not there to help him in his time of need. And th- there's a ton of symbolism here. And I do think that this is written to be a religious experience for Davos. Uh, and I also think we're supposed to kind of question it a little bit based on what he pulls out of this. Like, I don't know if the seven would necessarily want him to go kill someone. Uh, but Hey, God's work in mysterious ways, they say. So, 
Yeah, let me. I'll pull up the 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 part here towards towards the end. Right, it was her work. Dabo said again, mm -hmm. more weakly, her work and yours, Onion Knight. You rode her into Storm's End in the black of night, so she might uh, lose her shadow child. You are not guiltless. No, you rode beneath her banner and flew it from your mast. You watched the seven burn at Dragonstone and did nothing. She gave the father justice to the fire and the mother's mercy and the wisdom of the crone smith and stranger maid and warrior she burnt them all to the glory of her cruel god and you stood and held your tongue even when she killed old maester crescent even then you did nothing and then the sail was a hundred yards away mm -hmm. yeah and it if you actually think about Davos too, Davos has maybe seen some of the most messed up things to happen in Westeros in like over a hundred years, considering the fact that he one got hit by the Pyromancer's piss, which is wildfire. A new year, time for new growth. Grow your education and skills with Herzing University. Our online behavioral health programs fit your schedule and time. From an eight-month diploma program in health and human services to a 36-month bachelor's in psychology. Grow your behavioral health career with us wherever you are in your education. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Visit us online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. And he also watched a demon shadow baby be born out of Melisandre. Like he has actually seen proof of, of heinous things. So it's actually not that surprising that he would then say, well, why not pray to the seven? Why not have some belief in something else? Because if that other thing is real, I don't want to be a part of that because it, it, it obviously is devious. So D Davos is the person probably has the most reason to believe in any of the religions. It, he does. He probably does. And if you continue on here, this is where, as you were saying earlier, so like the, the galley might be Joffrey's. He realized suddenly when Salazar Zan's approaching him and he's like, oh, he doesn't know what king he should say. Right. Mm -hmm. But he knows that the ship is like seen. She was Salador Salazar. Salador Sands, the mother, the mother sent her here, the mother in her mercy. She had a task for him. Stannis lives. He knew that then I have a king still and sons. I have other sons and a wife, a loyal loving. How could he have forgotten? The mother was merciful indeed. Stannis, he shouted back at the Lysenny. Gods be good. I serve King Stannis. Yeah, it's almost yeah. like he's kind of delusional, man. I mean, he's willing <laughs> to blame himself. He said, you're not guiltless on your night. Like, he, he will blame everyone but Stannis in this chapter. It's it's crazy. I know. It's kind of heartbreaking to see. It's to really hard. <laughs> yeah, he, 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 is, uh, he is very blind. And I think that, um, you know, he feels like he owes a debt. You know, he was a onion knight. He was a... It basically a pirate, right? That, that got raised up into knight status and everyone looked down on him. He also, uh, by the way, he says, maybe this rock will be my tombstone and they'll call it the onion rock, <laughs> which I thought was kind of funny. <laughs> I want an onion rock for my desk. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, you know, that might be it. Um, like I said, we, we said it's one of these chapters where sometimes they're just like a page. Yeah, but some good stuff there. You know, it, it doesn't have everything. It doesn't have all the theories, but certainly a lot of Westeros uh, or Plantos lore in there with uh, all the different gods. And then Davos being a uh, castaway fanfic is, is pretty interesting. So let us know uh, either down in the comments on YouTube or send us an email at btkcast at gmail.com and let us know what you think of Davos in the beginning of uh, his arc for Storm of Swords. And do you think Davos had a real religious experience or is he delusional? Yeah, I think he's delusional. I think he's delusional. Yeah, yeah, especially you know, I would be. I need to. We sh a cool thing to do actually might be. We should just pay attention to some as we progress further and we get to some some more of these other Davos chapters like this. I think this would this is probably one of those chapters that when you first when you're reading it, like we're reading it, where it's kind of like in succession, you're like, okay, this one isn't important. But when you look at it in sort of the whole Davos yes. arc, yeah. might be really important, especially the idea of Azor High mm -hmm. and some of the deal with the gods, because yes. here he's here he is praying to the seven. Thing, you know i've forsaken the seven but then the seven are the ones to come and get him but then he's also praying to the get down god and then he's cursing relore but who knows maybe relore is the one that ultimately saves him because it's it, king stannis yeah. a, a king stannis like you know loyal person is ultimately the one that comes to his aid 
Yeah, and also the fact that Davos seems to always be at the right place at the right time to see these crazy things happening, and then he he has this kind of own personal miracle. But if he is going to get Rickon on Skagos, he might be one of the first people in many, many millennia to see unicorns. It's true. I always got to bring up the unicorns on Skagos. Oh, absolutely. Every time. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, hey, let's move on to send a raven and this comes to us from lord robert of house blackbird he's been sending us a couple here recently so he says dear sirs this time we'll get a topic for sir matt i'd like to talk about the tower of joy says um sure maybe uh he references like an order the green hand video as well i don't know maybe i haven't watched them a lot recently but i've They do have some of the stuff I've seen back in the day was really good. Says we're told by George that we can't take Ned's fever dream literally. So what happens there? Tower of Joy is at the borders of Dorne, not too far away from the road, presumably. Strange thing is that three Kingsguard are waiting for Ned outside the tower um, so anyone can see them. Shining so anyone can see them. Sounds pretty much like that's not really what happened. Plus, the numbers Ned gives us don't really make sense. There should be a maester, nuns, guards, servants, etc. There's little chance that there was actually a fight like we saw in the dream on the show, of course. What if there was more of a discussion and argument than a literal fight? What if Rhaegar told the Kingsguard Aegon's prophecy and that they agreed that John or you know whoever the child is, is the prince that was promised and it's you know, it is necessary is necessary to prepare for the long night. I suppose Ned's companions got killed because they didn't agree to let the Kingsguard go that Lyanna was kidnapped and they shouldn't keep this all a secret. I like an idea that when we're talking about Ned getting back, uh, taking the sword of the morning, like to Starfall is actually not referring to the sword, but Arthur Dane as well. Hmm. And, and being there, they agreed that Ashara Dane will take care of whoever the child is, be it John or, or, or would take care of Fagon, he's saying here. Um, my claim is that all three of the Kingsguard are alive. Proof is in the fever dream. Ned remembers uh, their faces, but not the ones that accompanied him. He's like, I look, oh, I, see, I know where he's going. I look at the Order of the Green Hand video um, that references like Oswald Went could be Corrin Halfhand, Gerald Hightower is Tormund Giantsbane, and Arthur Dane is Mance Raider. Corrin even quotes Oswald saying that their knees don't bend so easily, referring to Mance. Tormund has one thing that could lead to uh, Gerald, and it's a little mention. He knows maesters need ink and paper to send a raven. There's a theory I like about Lyanna and Rhaegar were actually hiding in Winterfell when Ned found out that um, he expelled Benjen to the Night's Watch. Uh, Even though it's a nice theory, there's a lot of speculations and not a clear timeline. So ultimately, what do you think happened at the Tower of Joy? Did Howlin and Ned, you know, plus a baby, take the whole tower take down the tower by themselves are there Kingsguard alive did Ned, um you know bring the baby all the way to starfall or was it done differently you know this topic is hard you know especially in trying to write it in a coherent structure thanks a lot for answering answering praise the guard lord robert of house blackbird so Woo. he's hinting, yeah so he's hinting at it he's in he's hinting at like a couple different theories here um one of which we've talked about a lot and i'm somewhat of you know definitely of a possible believer in um, and that the idea that, like, let's say some of the Kingsguard members or even perhaps Rhaegar or whatever um, could be some people beyond the wall, right? Like you have, you know, like Corn Halfhand, you have Gerald Hyde, uh Corn Halfhand might be like Oswald Went, Gerald Hightower is Tormund Giantsbane, and then Arthur Dane is Mance Raider. Um I'm much I think I'm a little more in the idea that Mance might be Rhaegar because I think there's more parallels to him. But I do think there's still a possibility that that is, you know, the case, the case as well. I definitely think regardless, if you just want to look at, say, Tormund, there's something weird about the way Tormund is presented in the books, which is really different than the way he's presented in the show. Um, and this theory he's sort of referencing, uh, it's an old order, the green hand video. And I don't know if other people have covered it as well. I just know I specifically have seen their video on it. Um, but, uh, talking about, if you really pay close attention to the way that Tormund talks in the books, it's almost like he's trying to talk like a wildling, as opposed to just talking the way, a wildling normally would talk 
-hmm. right? It's almost like he's, he feels like he's playing a part Um, because sometimes he will say something. Sometimes he does say things that it's like, how do you know about that? And then he'll like immediately revert to like a joke, you know, and he says like R and stuff like that, like a pirate. (laughs) And so it's just, it it is a little weird. It, It is definitely a little weird. Well, I, I will say this. I've, I've never really uh, taken much note of Tormund in the book um, compared to what we did in the TV show, because obviously he had a really big part to play there as a fan favorite. Um, so that's something I'm going to have to be keeping my eyes on uh, as we continue our reread. But I, I'm I'm very much of a, a believer that Rant, uh, Mance Raider is Mance Raider. I, I actually I used to love the Rhaegar theory. Um, and then I also have seen people talk about maybe him being Arthur Dane, but for me, I think one of the things that you have to consider is if these Kingsguard are these wildlings, how did that happen? And why would the wildlings take these people in? Uh, they clearly hate kneelers. These people are the ultimate kneel. I mean, they're, they're, they're Kingsguard. So do they just forge beyond the wall and just kind of mesh into the camps? I mean, maybe, but it doesn't seem likely. It seems like wildlings are pretty brutal towards people they're not familiar with i mean even the tribes of the wildlings fight each other so i've never been big on um people going beyond the wall and becoming someone else i've just never i've never right. seen it happening uh i do think tower of joy is a little weird because i don't see how king's garden especially led by arthur dane lost to ned I, I, and, and Helen Reed, though Helen Reed himself is one of the biggest question marks in the entire series. Uh, the crag, I'll, 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 t- I'll tell you right now, Helen, like it's all the stuff surrounding Howland is incredibly weird because when Mira Reed tells this story, she never says my dad, she never says Howland, she describes him as like the chronic man. Yeah, and then also it's also like you from one point of view, you're supposed to believe that he goes to the he goes to the tourney and he gets picked on. But he literally goes to the Isle of Faces, which is described as this like place that nobody comes back from. And he goes and just trains there. And he has like chronic man magic. He's like a monk almost. Yeah, (laughs) it's it's so weird. I love Halvin Reed. I think he's one of the coolest variables for the final books. Um, And the fact that he's still alive is like, what? Like, that's so crazy. And uh, obviously, the show never capitalized on that. So in the books, Halloran Reed matters. Halloran Reed matters a ton. Um, So the fact that Halloran Reed's even there automatically on my my interest is peaked. And I'm not trusting anything I'm being told. But the whole Arthur Dane losing to Ned doesn't seem right. Just doesn't seem right. maybe Maybe Ned's a little more skilled than I think. He might be. He might be, especially 20 years ago in the heat of battle. He might have been sharp. So it, it's tough to say, but, you know, him then going to bringing, uh, you know, um, the sword, ba- sword of the morning back uh, into Dorne to go into Starfall and then a Shardane killing herself like the whole thing. Right. There, there's there's no way that it, it's it's a random a thing like George is like, oh, I'll just have this person uh, kill themselves, but we never find the body. Like, obviously, there's more to it. Right. Yeah, I'm with I'm with you. It's one of those things where it's like when you start looking at conspiracy theories, like of anything, right? Mm-hmm. As soon as as soon as one thing in the conspiracy theory doesn't make sense, then it raises questions for like the whole yeah. thing, right? That's right. Yeah. It's why it's why you know I'm like you look at some of our the conspiracy theories in our world, right? I mean, you know, like nine eleven. Okay, some of it doesn't add up. Um, I'm not saying all of it doesn't. But if one piece of it doesn't add up, then it throws the whole thing into question. Okay. Right. How did JFK die? I don't know, but it's kind of fishy. So, you know, just saying, Oh my. I think I apply the same logic here that I apply there. As soon as one thing and it doesn't add up, then you, ha- you have to raise it. I mean, like the whole, Ashar- like just Ashara Dane, like that mm-hmm. plot line does- makes zero sense. Just yeah. as as we're told, because you can simply look at the idea of hold on a second. Ashara Dane kills herself be, because the story we're told is like she possibly loves Ned. She may end up loving Brandon. That's a you know, Ned's older brother. That's a, That's part of it. Or maybe she's so overtaken with grief that Ned kills her brother that she decides to kill herself. Mm-hmm. But then they decide to honor Ned Stark with Edric Dane. Like 
regardless of what <laughs> what is true and what isn't true of like the story we're presented with the Shardane, that in itself makes zero sense. Why would you like that'd be like that'd be like that'd be like Sansa naming like whatever potential future children she has like Jamie like Jamie. You know what I mean? Like yeah. after Jamie, it's just, it's, it doesn't add up, man. It doesn't it makes it makes no sense. Like, yeah, it also makes you wonder. Like, obviously, we're we're told that John is Ned's bastard, but like, what if Ned has a bastard, but it's not John, right? Like, right. That, that could also be a thing. I I don't know. I I don't know how this whole thing shakes out. I don't know if Val is her. I don't know if Septa. Uh, I always forget her name. Except, uh, except, uh, except uh, Lamar. Thank you, Lamar. Um, is, is she a Shardy? I don't know. I'm not sure, man. And yeah. why is Septa Lamar noted that she had a kid? That's what drives me insane. Right. Ugh. See, that that's the thing is there's there's too many variables. The other one for okay. me is like, see, I'm still a little more in the idea that Mance might be Rhaegar just because it's like it's it sort of works out that John would sort of get this father figure or whatever mm -hmm. um but man that's just i mean there's a lot of variables that have to happen robert has to yeah. kill somebody potentially glamored although the proof is there for it because it's like the ruby for and rubies and clamoring like that okay so like i get it that adds up the problem is mance raider has a backstory and people kind of like know yeah. his and people sort of know his backstory and then i get and then it is true the idea of these people all going like north and you decide to go beyond the wall and become a wildling i guess like what like yeah. that's not like the easiest place to go i feel like in some ways it almost be easier to go like essos or something in order yes to i mean we see people go to essos constantly we, we right. you know people flee to essos we saw, we saw it in house of the, in house of the dragon we that's, saw right. It. that's right that's right so you know. and, and and not just the idea they go beyond the wall but they get accepted by the wildlings and then end up in in positions of power among the wild right things. i mean it just doesn't seem very likely to me i also feel like rhaegar being alive would hurt the story in some ways because like robert crushing prince charming is like part of the beauty of a song of ice and fire like prince rhaegar is prince charming in a lot of ways and george is setting out to subvert fantasy largely but also fairy tales and other things like that so i would almost hope that he isn't alive like i think that that might actually be worse for me in some ways plus like mance raider's backstory and everything is really interesting like mance by himself is a very good character even though he does have the silliest last name of all time like raider like come right on, come on yeah the only the the thing that becomes weird with that group is like their skill level like specifically it's like okay mance raider Again, he could be because his just the story we know about Mance Raider himself is one. He grew up. He's a wildling. He's like he's like a wildling. He's like half wildling, half you know, Night's Watch, whatever. He's taken to the wall. He's raised by the Night's Watch. So at least he's there like training from birth. Mm -hmm. Then he you know ends up leaving and going become a wildling. And he unites the clans, which I'm sure there has to be some bloodshed in order to do that. Yeah. He scales the wall, which also is like pretty freaking difficult multiple times. Sneaks into Winterfell. <laughs> yeah, sneaks into Winterfell. So, I mean, he's a very like ultra skilled dude. I Because I think sometimes we look at wildlings and we just think like they wouldn't be at the same skill level mm -hmm. as it's 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 kind of funny how, how we do this. It's I think we sort of like take Cal Drogo. Mm hmm. Cal Drogo by Westeros standards would be a wildling. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. He, he would yeah. Be. It's but sort of, I think we sort of look at the wildlings as almost like lesser than we would say like the Dothraki because it's like they're beyond the wall. Like they're like, you know, not criminals, but you know, like they're yeah. like lesser. They're savage. Lesser. Yeah, they're lesser people, but they're no different than Dothraki. And they're I mean, tougher. They're tougher because they're they're surviving in the winter. I mean, they're, they're surviving these terrible lands. Like they don't have all the infrastructure that Westeros has. Like, if anything, they're probably better fighters because they survive all the time. Well, I don't know. The Dothraki Sea is like the desert. I mean, well, I'm, I, when I say them, I didn't really mean Dothraki. I know. I meant Westeros. I know. The, I know. You know. Oh, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Westeros people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because just because you have a master at arms doesn't necessarily mean that they're that great. 
Yeah, I mean, look at Samuel Tarley. He was born into nobility, and he's a rotten fighter and out of shape. Right. Nothing against Sam. And even Sam, even Corn Halfhand sometimes is it is he as good as we think he is? Whoa. Because again, well, here's the thing: is Whoa. you have to you have to look at the point of view that we're told. By all accounts, John is probably as elite, if not more, than Corn Halfhand. But remember, the people these are the you're getting this from the Night's Watch perspective. Well, the Night's Watch is mostly made up of people not like Jon Snow, but people like Samwell Tarly and well, even Sam's not, you know, really. But it's like, you know, Gren and all these other guys who are just like normal people who get, mm -hmm. you know, who commit a crime and end up going. So they're not skilled. They don't fight. They don't train or anything. So when somebody who's like somewhat competent, like a corn half hand shows up, they're like, wow, dude, he's really good. Yeah, I feel like corn was probably like I feel like I mean it's obviously really bad at the point we are in the story where like we're actually reading, but maybe Corn was still part of that generation that like was pretty talented, maybe right, right. I, and like, know, that's a good like, question though. Like, like if John if John doesn't go through like if John was more on like a Benjamin arc mm -hmm. where it was more so like you know nothing like crazy is going on, but he just goes as a person who's been trained and just becomes a ranger. And just lives sort of like a normal Night's Watch life. John would probably be viewed at like Corn Halfhand. Like, wow, he's like really good. Yeah. Cause he's like, he is really good as a sword fighter. But I mean, John might be like of the utmost elite in in the in the books and and certainly in the show. But I guess what I'm I guess what I'm getting at is like somebody who's halfway competent by sort of like the rest of Westeros standards where you're dealing with knights and everything. Mm -hmm. to the night's watch would be like a god yeah i mean that's why john's able to come in and pretty much route people immediately yeah so you know like even corin we're sort of told like wow corin's like really good well he might not actually be as good as i think we initially think because yeah. of the way george presents you know <laughs> the the information is, i think I there's also a lot of people who just assume corn halfhand is arthur dane <laughs> right which is like, where i'm at like yeah, yeah like <laughs> because we do know arthur dane was i mean top right. three probably yeah so. so i mean like mance raider specifically we know is a boss because mance has yes. has john on his toes mm -hmm. when he's you know glamoured as as a rattle i mean he has john on his toes so we know for example like without question that uh mance raider is a boss like with you know without without question but you know is mance like was is is mance you know, like Arthur Dane level where he's like perhaps top two. Ever. Is he Arthur Dane? <laughs> right. Or is, or is Mance more like say Cal Drogo level where he's like really freaking good, but he's not like the utmost of the utmost of the utmost elite. Right. Yeah. It's a good question. I mean, we're going to have to leave it up to the viewers when we do a tournament. Right. Let, let, let them tell us. Yeah. So <laughs> I guess any other, um, you know, some other some other thoughts about Tower Joy here, because he asked he has a lot. Of, he has sort of a lot of questions. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, without a doubt, why aren't, think... why aren't there maesters there? Why aren't there more people there? Yeah. And Ned's dream is most likely not 100 percent accurate. I think that that's fair. I think we're going to see the Tower Joy scene through a brand POV, uh, which is going to give us like the actual details, like the full yeah. blown details. So that will be uh, that'll be cool uh right we just gotta wait for it because <laughs> in the in the show all we had was the kingsguard members there mm -hmm. and then it was actually ashar dane's not even there yeah right which she might be at the tower of joy as like there with liana there was a person there who i think they even actually mm. i don't think she's i don't know if she's credited as her but i think if you have the captions on like the handmaiden that's there is actually wyla which is like the wet know, nurse thing, the wet yeah. nurse, right? Although in the show, Robert describes her as like you know some like you know big bustling hussy, you know at a at a, <laughs> at a at a tavern, but she's like you know pretty pretty petite when you're actually in the in the Tower of Joy scene there. So, um, but yeah, I mean there could there could be more people, but you know in the show you have to like you have to hire actors and all this stuff to have mm -hmm. like sort of to certainly have more people there, and it's a quick scene. So you don't necessarily need to do to do all of that. But I do think, yeah, it will be more fleshed out when we get it. 
When do you think we get that? Do you think we get that in wins, or do you think yes, if, if wins we get it? Yeah. So you th you think Brand will have a similar scene? Yeah, I think so. I th I think that 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 tracks. Um, not sure exactly the details around it, but I wouldn't be surprised if we get like that Tower of Joy, and then the next chapter is John being resurrected back to his body, and then that ends once a winner. Like that yeah. wouldn't be shocking to be like a last chapter. It might even be an epilogue. Could be. Who knows? Yeah. Could Give be. me the book, George. <laughs> um. Okay. Real quick, I just want to make sure he because he asked he asked a couple points here. Uh, yeah, I just asked some of the, uh, the, the idea that Liana and Rhaegar might have actually been hiding at Winterfell. See that? I don't. Uh, that yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not on that train myself. Yeah, because I um, because Liana would be at the tower. I have heard that theory, um, but I, I, don't, I don't. I need so. to look more into it because I do think there's something to be said about the crypts. And I've heard people saying that maybe they've hidden the crypts and yada, yada, yada. Um, so maybe we can look into that a little bit more and talk about it and maybe even just go over the Winterfell crypts because they're very mysterious in their own right. Um, right. And remember but, when I remember when they teased like tons of trailers of season eight and they act like it was going to be the biggest deal in the world. And oh, then it was I remember it was literally nothing. So bad. That was one of the worst parts. Yeah, that bothered yeah. me a lot. But I do think they the specific they specifically had like trailers for it. Yeah. And we're like, oh, sh oh man, they're going to find something No, Nope. Sure didn't. Disappointing. Damn. Disappointing. Uh, okay, but hey, nonetheless, thank you, uh, Robert, for that for that theory. Always yeah, fun great talking. Raven. Yeah, always always fun talking the the Tower of Joy because there's you know so many questions, mm -hmm. uh, so many questions around that. So, all right, guys. Well, hey, with that as always, want to say thank you guys for playing the Game of Thrones. In our next episode, we will be discussing a Storm of Swords, Sansa One. And if you like our podcast, don't forget to subscribe, like us, write a review, or leave a comment, or send us a raven at btkcast at gmail.com or bendtheneepodcast.com. We will see you next time, and remember that winter is coming. <laughs>